I'm a broken record when I say this, but I believe it with everything that is in me. The best investment you can make in your life is in yourself. Until you get yourself healthy, you'll never have healthy relationships. Until you can get yourself healthy, you'll never have a healthy marriage. You'll never be a healthy parent. You'll never be able to discover the reason you were created. You were created for greatness. I believe that. I'm smoking what I'm selling when I say that. I believe with everything that is in me, God made you. He shaped you. He formed you. He's taken you through all the BS you've been through in life. For one purpose and one purpose only, to be right where you are today, to be uniquely designed to be created and achieve the greatness that God has for you. God doesn't make junk. He makes greatness. And what we're doing this month is we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're looking at Nehemiah, and we're looking at how Nehemiah literally changed his life in 52 days. I'm going to be honest with you real quick. I forgot something in my car on that last song and had to run out to get it. I'm out of breath right now. And I'm trying to talk real fast to disguise the fact that I'm out of breath. But I can't breathe. I'm trying to, who said that? I'll come off this stage and knock you down. So I was trying to talk real fast where you wouldn't notice the fact that I couldn't breathe. I'm good now. Going through Nehemiah, and we're looking at Nehemiah. And if there's a great example of anyone ever getting to the stage in their life where they discovered their purpose and literally changing the course of their life, it's Nehemiah. And in case you missed the last couple of weeks, I want to get you updated on a couple of things. We're going to go real through it real, real quick. But I need you to get on the same page with me to know how to get where we are today. So Nehemiah, he was a Jewish person. He was, he was no longer a slave but he was in the country he was in because the previous generations had been slaves. He is now what is called a cupbearer, meaning to the king, he was a cupbearer, meaning before the king ever took a sip of wine, he would take a sip of wine and make sure there was no poison in the wine. So he was in the presence of greatness everywhere he went. But when Nehemiah got the job, this would not have been a job where greatness was required. This would have been a job where an average person could have got the job because it didn't take a lot of skill to be able to sip a glass of wine and make sure you don't die. For some of you, that is a great skill. And this time, it was pretty normal. One day, Nehemiah's chilling. He must have been off work. He runs into his brothers. He asks a question that is a pretty common question when you haven't seen someone in years. And you run back into someone from the hometown. He looked at his brother and said, hey, how are things back home? I really believe with everything that is in me, Nehemiah didn't care how things were back home. I believe he was making small talk. But the brothers looked at him and said, man, things back home are horrible. Things back home are in a terrible condition. The walls have been torn down. The walls that go around the city that provided protection for the city had been crumbled. 
That way the city could no longer reestablish itself because they could no longer protect themselves. They could no longer govern who came in the city and who went out of the city. They could no longer protect their livestock. They could no longer protect their homes. They could no longer protect their, their um, farms. They could no longer have a source of income because anytime they got a little bit ahead, there was no wall around and the enemy could come from any direction. And if a city was going to be established for greatness in this day and time, there had to be a wall around the city. And so the brother look at Nehemiah and they said, man, the walls are torn down. Things are horrible. And this literally changed the course of Nehemiah's life. It broke Nehemiah to hear this. The Bible says that he wept for days over this. The Bible says that he prayed over this. The Bible says that he fasted over this. Nehemiah was tore up over the condition of the walls. Now here's the thing. Nehemiah wasn't the first one to hear about the walls being tore down. It was no secret that the walls were tore down. People knew all over that the walls were tore down. But God had a unique calling, a unique individual to rebuild the walls. And once Nehemiah heard about the walls, there was no turning back for Nehemiah. And we talked about in week one about what it takes to raise up the leader within you and figure out the things that you are passionate about. And I gave you some characteristics of that. Last week, we talked about once you've established what you're called to do, we talked about the steps that you've got to do to make that happen. If you missed any of those, you can go to actionchurch.tv and listen to the sermon. You can go into your app on your phone, go to Action Church, and download the, app for, or download the podcast for free. So here we are. Nehemiah's went to the king. He's asked for permission to rebuild the walls. The king has sent him to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah has gone back to Jerusalem. He has scouted out the walls. He has seen the condition of the walls with his own eyes. He has now rallied the troops to rebuild the wall. Everybody's excited. We ended last week with everyone saying, hey, let's rebuild the wall. Let's do this good work. He had traveled about a thousand miles there. The people are excited. For the first time in a long time, there's hope. And hope is a powerful thing. If you can give somebody a glimmer of hope, you can change their life. When people lose all hope is when people are done. And the people of Jerusalem now are re-excited about their future. They believe they can rebuild the wall. Nehemiah shared with them how good God's been. Nehemiah shared with them how good the king has been. Nehemiah shared with them, hey, we've got all the wood to rebuild the wall. Everything we need to rebuild the wall, I don't care what's happened in the past... Here we are today. Let's rebuild the wall. You would think the hard part of it was over. Now you just get to building. But Nehemiah is about to learn a very valuable lesson, and it's a lesson that you're going to have to learn if you ever step out and finally get the testicular fortitude to follow the vision God has for your life. The minute you step out to do what you're called to do, everybody is not going to applaud you. The minute you step out to do what God has called you to do, everyone is not going to be your cheerleader. The minute you step out to do what you're called to do, everyone is not going to be as excited as you are about doing what you're called to do. The minute you step out and do what God has called you to do, you can take it to the bank, baby. Opposition is going to come out. Critics are going to come out. The enemy is going to come out. Whenever you move forward for God, rest assured that the opposition will always show up. Whenever you move forward for God, the enemy wants to stop you.
It's kind of mind-boggling why that would happen. You think everyone would be excited about someone chasing their passion. You think everyone would be excited about seeing someone winning at life. You think everyone would be excited about people going out and chasing their dreams and living the life they were created for. But here's what I've learned. Misery loves company. And so when you set out to do what God's called you to do, it's a reminder to everyone else that they haven't set out to do what God's called them to do. Instead of coming alongside of you and being positive about it, people love to come along and be negative about it. I'll give you this example. Again, I knew I was preaching this sermon five weeks ago. I bought a new car this week. The minute I posted that I bought a new car, you know what the first comment was? It wasn't congratulations. It was, hey, wait till you have to get a repair on that car. You know what the second comment was? Why'd you get that kind of car? You know what the third comment was? Why get a car? You know, surprisingly, Kylie, this time no one accused me of using church money. Ain't that amazing? We must be getting slack in our old age. There wasn't a congratulations, and I didn't post it. I got a new car to get a congratulations, but there wasn't a congratulations, listen to me, until the 13th comment. That's the day and time we live in. We live in a day and time of negativity. We live in a day and time where it's so easy to tear everything, even things that don't affect us. How does me buying a car affect anybody else? But give our two cents. Think about when someone gets sick, someone gets diagnosed with a type of cancer. No one comes up to them and says, you know what? My brother-in-law, man, he had that type of cancer, and he kicked it in the teeth. Man, you got this. No big deal. What do they always do? Man, my cousin had that and died. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, thanks. Oh, that's not the kind of cancer you want. I don't want any type of cancer. You know, <laughs> but we live in a day and time where negativity runs rampant. So when you step out to do what God has called you to do, good Lord, I got a wild hair Friday night. I'm in the kitchen cooking. I chop up some avocados and I make some guacamole. And I remember, wow, you know what? Phil bought me a very nice bottle of bourbon for Christmas. I'm going to have a sip of bourbon. I post a picture of the bourbon. The ninth to the first nine comments were, I hate that type of bourbon. I don't like that taste. Why do you get that? Shut up! It's bourbon! After the week I had, I wasn't drinking it for the taste anyway. Put that in your bank as a pastor. We just live in a day and time where people are negative. They love to tear down. How many of you know about my unique abilities or lack of abilities in construction? This is no joke. This is not a story to make you laugh. When I married my wife, I owned a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips head screwdriver. That was it. I owned two pieces. Are, are those called tools, I guess? Okay. I didn't even know they were called a flathead and a Phillips head. I called them the plus and the minus. Well, I got a plus screwdriver and a minus screwdriver. That's what I got. Okay. 
I didn't grow up with a dad who taught me how to do stuff like that. I don't want to learn how to do stuff like that. I, I, like, God sends me people. God sent me Kylie when there's painting, Scott when there's plumbing, Brandon when there's car stuff. Like, I just, God, he knows he takes care of idiots. And he sends me people. But here's the deal. When we redid this building, I built absolutely nothing. But I tore a lot of stuff down. When they gave me the sledgehammer and I got to go hit walls and knock them down, I had a blast. When I got to go tear, like the best part was tearing down that brick wall and then knowing I didn't have to carry it all away. I just made someone else do that. Like, that was fun. I got to take a lot of aggression out on tearing stuff down. What I'm saying is it's easy to tear things down. I will tell you this story, though. Chuck Rogers, about three weeks ago, you know, to tell you, do you not think Chuck Rogers was scraping the bottom when he had to call me? <laughs> Locks his keys in his car. And he called me just to know if I knew anybody that could go help him get the keys. He didn't call me to come help. But being the charming guy I am, I said, I'm going to help. Knowing that I couldn't help, I grabbed Speedy. Why I thought Speedy would be able to help is beyond me. So we get to the car, the parking lot where Chuck Rogers, who called me, <laughs> called me to help. And we're there for about 30 minutes. And I said, you know what? I bet Brandon is getting off work, and I know he lives closer. Brand, I, mean, I built Brandon all up. Brandon will be in this car in two seconds. I called Brandon. He's like, I don't have the equipment. Let me make some phone calls. He said, man, I can't find any equipment. I said, oh, don't worry about it. But Brandon being Brandon, like, he's like, I'm on my way. I found some stuff. He gets down there. 45 minutes later, they're still trying to break in the car. I said, hey, what if you took this big of a jiggy and turned it sideways and lashed it there and pulled it up? I think it'd work. Brandon, did it work? Yeah. Brandon, did it work? Stand up and testify. It worked. It worked. Yeah. Sun shines on a dog's butt every now and then. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to share the story. People thrive on negativity. I've never had anybody call me for help on stuff like that, but Chuck Rogers called me. We have a bond forever around that. Nehemiah sets out to rebuild the wall. The wall that's going to restore Jerusalem. The wall that is going to provide protection to Jerusalem. The wall that is going to allow them to establish a commerce. The wall that is going to allow them to protect their families. A wall that is going to allow them to be safe. And you think everyone would be happy. And lo and behold, they're rocking and they're rolling. And some dudes show up on the scene. A guy named Sam Ballot shows up. A guy named Tobiah shows up. And they were political opponents of what was happening in Jerusalem. It didn't benefit them to see the wall be rebuilt. They couldn't stop it. He had the king's blessing. So guess what they began to do? They began to criticize and discourage the people of Jerusalem. They began to mock them. They began to go after them. They were trying to guard their power and their own financial interests. They had no interest in the city of Jerusalem. They didn't want to see the wall rebuilt. So they did what so many people do. They began to criticize those that were actually doing something. Whenever you move forward for God, your enemy always wants to stop you. 
If you've been reading along in Nehemiah throughout the weeks, we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. And I want to talk to you about how you defeat discouragement when you're chasing your purpose. How you deal with opposition when you're chasing your purpose. You need to understand that we as believers in Christ have a spiritual enemy. We believe there's a God and we believe there's a devil. We believe there's a God who calls us and prepares us and doesn't make junk and wants us to to see us do great things. And we believe there's an enemy who wants to do whatever he can to destroy us and destroy the movement of God. We believe there's a place called heaven and we believe there's a place called hell. And we believe when you set out after the things of God, you can rest assured, you can take it to the bank and need a cash every time that the enemy wants to destroy you. The Bible says this about the enemy in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert. Be of sober mind. The, the Bible says, make sure your mind is clear. Make sure you're alert. You're always watching. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around. What's he prowl around like? A roaring lion. You've heard me say it before. What families the lion come from? The cat family. There's a correlation between cats and Satan right there. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Here's what's important to me about that verse. He's looking for someone to devour. He can't devour everybody. He can't just devour anyone. The the devil walks around. He he prowls around looking for somebody who he can attack. Somebody who doesn't know how to deal with. With the opposition. Somebody who doesn't know how to deal with the criticism. Because the devil knows if he can get you sidetracked from God's purpose, he can ultimately win. Whenever you move forward and you're doing something that God has called you to do, take it to the bank. The enemy will oppose you. As you look at Nehemiah, man, I don't know. It just seems like everything is falling into place. The passion's there, the burden's there, the king's blessing is there, the people are excited. If there was ever an easy project, you ever look at someone who sets out, they're like, holy smokes, everything's just falling into place for them. That would be Nehemiah to me. But then suddenly, the enemy approaches. And how Nehemiah deals with the enemy is amazing to me. It goes back to the first week when I, when I told you that it's amazing what can happen when you put yourself around greatness. Remember, Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, but he got to be everywhere the king got to be. He saw the king in action. I can't help but think that he saw the king deal with those who were criticizing him. I can't help but think that he saw the king handle his adversaries and his enemy. And so when the enemy came along, Nehemiah doesn't seem surprised at all. And you need to write this down today. Here's the deal. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition because we're doing something right. The enemy doesn't care when you're doing wrong. If you ever want to look around and see if you're in the will of God, look around and see if you're dealing with opposition. If you are, chances are, baby, you're on the right path. My wife likes to say, good Lord, being married to you is non-stop drama. She's like, man, it's always somebody criticizing and someone who's always got an opinion and someone who's got this. And I always smile and say, it sure is. 
We must be doing something right. She ain't quite bought into that philosophy yet. I get nervous when no one's criticizing. I get twitchy when it's smooth sailing. I get a little bit anxious when they're not posting about me on Facebook. I get a little bit tense when people close to me aren't having my back. When things are going wrong, I know, man, we're doing something right. And Nehemiah set out to rebuild the wall, and of course the enemy is going to attack because he's doing something that is about to restore vitality to a city. A lot of you are like, man, that's good news, Gary, because I've been going through hell. I must be doing something right. The truth is, if you're not doing something significant, why would the enemy waste his time attacking It's hard to deal with because, like I said, there can be times you feel like, man, it's nonstop conflict and it's nonstop chaos and it's nonstop drama. But I believe the devil is real and he wants to do all he can to destroy you today. I can show you throughout the life of Action Church, example after example after example, every time something starts clicking here at the church, every time new faces start coming in, every time it starts growing, every time, man, we can actually pay the bills for once around here. Man, once for every time there seems to be harmony in the church, I get around and I start to get anxious because I'm looking for it. I'm like, man, when is the hammer about to drop? Because I know it's coming. The devil don't care. When we're going through the motions, but when things are clicking. And here's the funny thing in this church about drama. Most of the drama is created by people who have no idea what the initial drama was about to begin with. It's people who don't have a dog in the fight. It's the people that have heard a little bit of something about something and they want to stick their nose into it. And my marriage, man, every time Christine and I are clicking and things are working the way that they ought to work, you can rest assured there's going to be some type of drama that comes along. You set out to get your finances in order, man. You're getting Dave Ramsey's face tattooed on your right butt cheek. You're living like no one else where you can live like no one else. You're clicking. You're working that side job and you are conquering death, debt, and death. And what happens, man, $863 repair on the oven. The enemy is attacking. <laughs> man, anytime you set out to follow your passion, there's going to be critics that come out of the woodwork. Anytime you set out to do anything different, there's going to be critics. How many of you were around here about a year ago? Raise your hands. About a year ago, I got a wild hair up my butt on a Sunday night after talking to someone that there might be an idea that we would try. I posted on Facebook a random thing like I always do, just a random thought. I was bored on a Sunday night. I remember when I was eating Papa John's pizza. That's how vividly I remember it. And I said, man, there is a lot of people dying in our community from dirty needles. Maybe we'll start a clean needle exchange at Action Church. It was 10.30 at night. At 10.36, I went to bed. 
I didn't think anything about it. I woke up at 4.30 the next morning because that's what time I get up. And I, had, I can remember every number. I had 72 text messages on my phone. And I logged into Facebook and a few hours later had about 450 comments. In my private messages, I had about 30-something private messages. I had stuff to do, so I really didn't read them. Went about my day, logged back into Facebook. You have 1,200 comments. Decided I'd check my voicemail. Fox 5 News was like, hey, we'd like to come out and interview you. About what? About your needle exchange. We don't have a needle exchange. Somebody else called me, hey, we'd love to do a documentary on your needle exchange. We don't have a needle exchange. Finally, about 2 o'clock, I pull into the church parking lot. I don't know if you remember this, Chris. And there's a guy walking around in his 5'11 khakis, his SWAT team khakis, and he's walking around looking. I said, can I help you? Pulls out his badge. I thought it was like a real cop or something. He was like from environmental health. From environmental health. I said, okay. Got a report that there's bags of dirty needles down here. I said, bags of dirty needles where? Do I need to get a warrant? Like, I should have been a jerk and be like, yes. I was like, no, you don't got to get a warrant. Go on in the building. Two and a half hours, every nook and cranny. I said, what? He said, well, I, he said, this is what really blew my mind. Well, I took, I filled it a call today from Knoxville, Tennessee. I said, what? But you guys have been doing a needle exchange. I said, we're not doing a needle exchange. I said, we might do a needle exchange. Well, you know it's illegal. I said, then we won't do a needle exchange. <laughs> like, really wasn't sold out on the idea. I really didn't care. Then Frank Sheriff Reynolds is calling me. You know you can't do that needle exchange. I'm not doing a needle exchange. And then phone calls kept coming, and phone calls kept coming, and phone calls kept coming. And then people were photoshopping mug shots of my wife and putting them on Facebook and being like, of course he'll give away needles. Look at his wife. And I'm like, what? And then people started sending us death threats. They were going to kill us over needles. And I'm like, what needles? It was just an idea. You crazy, psycho people. But now you piss me off and I'm giving away needles. People hate ideas. When you set out to do something, opposition is going to come around like crazy. People left our church over. Then oh, Why did you leave that church? They used to give away needles. We never gave away needles. <laughs> we never did. Well, maybe on the download, but anyway, that's another story. Man, the biggest deterrent to people chasing their dreams will be those who criticize you. I remember you guys calling me through that time and being like, have you seen? I didn't read any of the comments. Y'all were on there going to war. I didn't even read them. I never commented one time because I don't care. 
I ain't learned a lot in all my years of ministry, but here's what I've learned. When I feel like God's called me to do something, I'm going to do it. And if people don't like it, I don't really give two flips. But you got to get to that point in your life if you're ever going to achieve what God's called you to achieve. You've got to learn how to deal with the critics. Throughout the story of Nehemiah, I want to show you the different ways that he dealt with the opposition. There's two different areas the opposition will come through. Your enemy will first of all try to discourage you from the outside. He will try to discourage you from the outside. He will use external forces to try to discourage you and cause you to quit. It's amazing in Nehemiah how we see this. Nehemiah comes. He's rebuilding the wall. The people are excited. And these two or three bozos from the outside come along. It says when Samballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. They'll make fun of you. And in the presence of his associates, and they'll never criticize you alone. They always get a group of people around you. And in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble? Burned as they are? Just mocking them, ridiculing them. Who are these idiots? How are they going to do anything? Then it says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. They knew they couldn't stop the wall from being rebuilt. They knew that Nehemiah had the king's blessing, so they went about the task of ridiculing, making the Jews have self-doubt. Do they even know what they're doing? Do they even have a clue how to rebuild a wall? Look what they're doing. If a fox jumped up on it, it would fall down. These guys are idiots. Opposition will come from the outside. When Sam Ballot heard they were rebuilding the wall, the Bible says he became angry. He became angry, so he ridiculed the Jews. They'll make fun of you. They'll mock you. They'll make you doubt yourself. They'll make you doubt your calling. They'll make you think you're not qualified. And OBTW, you're probably not qualified. That's the great thing about a calling. God doesn't look for the qualified. He looks for the available. He made fun of them. Will they restore the wall? Man, will he restore the wall? That's my redneck Jewish voice. That's just the way I picture them. You know, they're ridiculing this. You can't do this. You're stupid. Why would you set out to do that? Do you know who you who do you think you are? They don't even know you because they're from the outside. They weren't even part of Jerusalem. They were from neighboring cities. Why would the neighboring cities want to see the wall rebuilt? They wouldn't. So they begin to ridicule. They'll ridicule you, and you'll begin to often face obstacles. You'll often face obstacles. You'll be moving forward. You'll be making progress. And all of a sudden, you'll show up at the church one day, and the health department, the CDC's out there asking for a bag of clean needles or dirty needles. You're just trying to help people. Someone said, do you think that's going to keep them alive? No, I don't think it's going to keep them alive, but it might keep them alive until they get to the day they don't want to use anymore. I'm, I, it's funny, I really wasn't passionate about clean needles. And a year later, I'm so passionate about it because everybody made me so mad that I actually did research and think it's a genius plan. 
But I'll save that for another day because you always get mad when I talk about it. You begin to take two steps forward, and there's some type of opposition, and you end up taking three steps back. <laughs> Again, God's spoken to you, and you've decided we're going to get out of debt, and something breaks down. You sit the family down, and you're talking about getting out of debt, and things begin to go wrong. You sit down, and man, you're a guy, and you say, man, I'm finally going to lead my family spiritually. We're going to start praying. We're going to get in the Bible. We're going to be part of the church. And your teenager looks at you and says, man, I'm not even sure I believe in God. Two steps forward, three steps back. I talked to a lady this week, and she owns a business. She said about a year ago, I just decided I was going to run my business with Christian values and Christian morals. And we were going to treat everyone the way Jesus would treat them. And she, I said, man, how did that go? She goes, it's been awesome. She goes, but in the last year, I've lost 75% of my workers because they were crooked and didn't want to live that way. She was just discouraging along the way. I never said it would be easy. There'll be obstacles along the way. When you're doing something for God, expect obstacles. Our enemy doesn't attack when we're doing something wrong. He attacks when we're doing something right. The enemy loves to throw up roadblocks in your way. You're fighting, you're clean, you're dealing with your addictions, you're trying to get your kids back, and man, you think you're working the steps and the steps are working, and somebody comes along and throws a boom, a roadblock in your way. Or you're fooling everybody and you're working the telling everybody you're working the steps and you're doing this and you're doing that and getting everyone to live and listen to your lies and believe your BS when you know, hey, there's an obstacle along the way, somebody knows the truth. Boom. Are we standing too close today? You thought I was going to get up on stage and not address it? You must have me mistaken. You'll come along, not only will you deal with obstacles, you'll deal with criticism. People love to criticize. Sam Ballard, Tobiah, they came out and they just began to cr criticize. Man, they're feeble. They're weak. They're never going to get anything done. Man. I talked to someone the other day, and they said, man, we got all jacked up, and we're excited, man. We, wanted to, we just have been feeling for a long time that we want to foster kids. There's so many kids in our community that need foster parents. I said, man, that is awesome. And they said, man, we set our parents down. You know what my mom told us? I said, what? She looked at us and said, you can't take care of the two kids you got. Criticism. And all of a sudden, you feel deflated. You leave that higher-paying job for a less-paying job because it fulfills your purpose in life. It gets you excited about something, and you realize that money doesn't rule everything, and you step out, and people look at you like, are you crazy? People love to criticize what they don't understand. There's something you need to understand. If you want to change the world, if you want to do something significant, if you want to be a leader... Right now, you need to embrace that criticism as part of the job. It's just part of the job. A lot of criticism on social media this week. Everyone kept messaging me. And I, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think? I don't think anything about it. What do you mean? Because I don't read it. Y'all read it. People close to me read it, and I don't like it because it affects people close to me. I don't care. I don't mean that arrogantly that I don't care. I don't mean that jerkishly that I don't care. 
But when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know God's called you to do something, I don't care what the critics say. But I got 20 years of ignoring critics. And when you got to get to the point in your life that you ignore them. Now listen to me, that doesn't mean there's not times it doesn't bother me. There's times it bothers me. But I got to say, man, overall, I just roll with it. I'm not really worried about it. Every time they came along and they begin to criticize Nehemiah, he's got a pattern. The first thing he did was he prayed. And the second thing he did was he got back to work. It's amazing to me that Nehemiah never engaged the critics. He never tried to explain himself to the critics. You can't argue with a jackass. You say, I can't believe that. I'm just being honest with you. You can't. You can't reason with crazy. Some of you ought to learn that on social media. No one's ever been convinced of anything through social media. I know it feels good to make you say something, but listen, you didn't convince anybody anything except telling everybody your drama. Ignore the critics. <laughs> Man. Literally, someone asked me, they said, Gary, do you ever get criticized? Someone asked me that. I said, man, does the sun ever rise? Man, it doesn't matter what I do. Literally, literally, two weeks ago, someone criticized me. I'm in a place that I go to and I work every day, and I'm talking to this person. They've been in there about a week. They said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor at Action Church. And they get this weird look on their face. I said, what? It's never seen a pastor wear flip-flops and nylon pants. They got tents in the place because everybody knows me. I said, what, what do you mean? I just don't understand that. I said, you don't understand that I came to study today and I just wanted to be comfortable? I said, well, I don't have any underwear on either. Is that weird? <laughs> they left. And then everyone else looked at me weird because it was, it was weird. <laughs> You're letting people on social media that got 12 followers upset you. I don't get it. And again, I get it. Sometimes it hurts and sometimes it works. But listen, you don't answer to critics. You answer to God. Now listen to me. There's times that criticism is a good thing. I've shared this with you before, but I think it's so important. It's very important who you allow to criticize your life. There is such a thing as constructive criticism. You get to the stage in life where you're not, be, or you're not willing to hear feedback from people then you're in a dangerous place. I run every criticism through three questions. The first question is this. Do they know me? If you don't know me, you're not going to get to criticize me. Now, let me rephrase that. You can criticize me all day long. I'm just not going to listen. If, if you don't know me, you don't get to criticize me. So you got to know me. The second question is this. Do they love me? Because you can know me. This is surprising. And not love me. If you don't love me, then your criticism is going to come from the wrong place. So I've got to know, do they know me? Do they love me? Do they have my best interests at heart? Do they want to see me successful in life? They care about me. They don't have a dog in this fight other than to see me succeed. If they love me, then I'm listening. And the order of this is very important. The third one is this. 
Do they believe in me? You can know me, you can love me, and you cannot believe in me. I've shared this story with you every time I give this example. My mother, for example, knows me. My mother loves me. She's my mother. My mother does not think I'm qualified to pastor a church because of stuff in my past. Therefore, she doesn't believe in me. I'm not mad at her about that. But what I'm saying is when she offers criticism about Action Church, I don't really listen to her because she doesn't believe in me as the pastor of Action Church. So why are you going to criticize something you don't believe in? Now, does that mean I'm mad at my mom? No. But what I'm saying is in that area of my life, she doesn't get to give feedback. Now, when it comes to me parenting, my mom knows me, my mom loves me, and my mom believes in me. She thinks I'm a good dad. She wants to see the best for her grandchildren. My mom offers feedback in that area of my life. I listen to my mom in that area of my life. Do they know me? Do they love me? Do they believe in me? So when criticism comes, you need to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. Because criticism will derail you. Quit focusing on, criti- quit, quit focusing on the positive feedback and the negative feedback on social media. Lord, ignore it. And stay focused on what you're called to do. Because when you know you're called to do something, nothing will derail you. Nehemiah knew. There was a part of the scripture, and we'll get to this next week. Three times they came to Nehemiah and said, let's meet. Let's meet. Let's meet and resolve our differences. And Nehemiah said, why should I stop what I'm doing to come down and meet with you? Why should the work stop while I come down and talk with you? I had a pastor recently send me a message. Hey, I just love to meet with you. I want you to hear just what my concerns are. Great pastor, this can be done a lot of great things in this community that I know of. I, I, I don't care what his concerns are. I, I don't mean that arrogantly. Why should I take time out of my schedule of helping people and doing what I feel called to and providing for my family to go meet with this guy who I'm never going to convince that what we do is right and biblical? So one day we'll stand before God and we'll find out. That's all I know to say. Do they know me? Do they love me? Do they believe in me? But listen to me. Opposition will not only come from the outside. Your enemy will try to discourage you from the inside. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is going out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're about 26 days in here. And the high of the pep rally has wavered. The high of you just got out of jail and you're sober has wavered. The high of you just got that new job and you love it, now reality's hit. You got to go to that new job every day and you don't love it so much. The high of the idea, this is where I call you have left the clouds and entered into the dirt. And I told you the first week, every idea starts in the clouds, but it's accomplished in the dirt. But when you get in the dirt is when you realize, holy smokes, do I want to do this or do I not want to do it? They're in the middle of it, and all of a sudden they're tired, and rightfully so they're tired. The enemy's been attacking them. They're listening to the criticism, and now they're beginning to have a little bit of self-doubt. 
There's so much rubble. Are we even making progress? Here's the sad thing. They finished the wall in 52 days. So 26 more days, they'd be done. Sometimes when you're halfway through a project, you don't see that you're real close to getting it finished. Had a buddy of mine who'd been on probation for seven years. He'd walked the line for seven years. About two months ago, went through a hard time. Three months from coming off paper. And imploded. And I kind of said, what are you doing? He said, I just can't take it anymore. I said, you had three more months. Three more months. He said, but I've been doing it for seven years. You had three more months. But in the midst of it, he wasn't thinking about three months. He was thinking about how bad it sucked. And he had to be home at 8 o'clock every night. And then he couldn't leave his house. And then he had this restriction and that restriction. And he began to feel sorry for himself. He couldn't see the forest for the tree. And guess what he's got now? About seven more years. And I'm an encourager and make fun of him all the time now. Strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble. We can't rebuild the wall. It's discouragement from the inside. The people around you have gotten tired. The people around you are frustrated. The people inside your head are telling you you can't do it. When you're doing something significant and the enemy realizes you don't listen to the outside, I told you I'm really, really good about not listening to the outside. I'm really, really bad about listening to the inside. People on the outside don't ever discourage me. But people on the inside who are in the battle with me and who I'm going with and I'm going to war for and I'm trying to do stuff for and they get discouraging and they get frustrated. All of a sudden now I'm feeling obligated and I'm feeling convicted and I'm feeling guilty. Maybe I'm wearing them out and maybe I'm doing this for the wrong reason. And all of a sudden, so the outside doesn't affect me, but in my life personally, the inside really affects me. When I'm chasing something and it's affecting my family on the inside, it affects me. Who are we to think we can rebuild these walls? They've been down 140 years. We're not good enough. Enemy loves to remind you, you're not good enough. God speaks to you to do something great. Man, you're going to go defend the unborn. You're going to go work and help feed hungry people. You're going to minister to teenagers. Man, you're going to take children into your home. And that voice is going to come along and be like, Who do you think you are? You're not really making a difference. The minute you're no longer in their life, they're going to go back just to what they were. Why are you wasting your time. You relapsed three months ago. You're due for another one any moment. You can't kick this. You can't lick this. Boy, that internal head game gets to spinning. 
And you've got to learn how to attack it. You don't get it, man, because you've heard about the burden. You've cried and you've kneeled and you've stood and you've, done, you've stood up to action. You've got your business statement. You've got your plan. And, man, the king has granted you access to go rebuild the wall. And now the self-doubt has set in. <laughs> As you step out, you're going to deal with opposition from the outside. And you're going to deal with opposition from the inside. It might come from your spouse. And it doesn't make your spouse a bad person. They just don't necessarily understand everything that you got in your head lined up. You're ready to go into the bank account and chase your dream. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're ready to go quit your job, and they're ready to be like, whoa. They're not trying to be discouraging. They're just not in the clouds with you. They got their own purpose. They don't always see what you got called to do. And opposition comes from the inside. You've got to make sure that the people around you understand your vision. You need to understand that along the way, they're going to get tired. You need to understand along the way, you're going to get tired. And are you prepared to respond when you get tired? I get accused all the time of having yes men around me. Gary only wants yes men around him. Nope, not true. I don't want yes men around me. Because yes men are the type of people who do whatever you say. Man, I want to do this. I'm like, Let's do it. I don't want yes men. But I don't want no men either. I believe anything can be done. If I want to land a 747 in that parking lot, it can be done. Don't tell me it can't be done. Now come to me and say this. Gary, if you want to lend a 747 in that parking lot, it's probably going to cost about $5.5 billion. And the FAA is going to have to approve it. We're going to have to buy about 60 acres around here. And that's going to probably take about 20 years to get all the zoning changed and this changed and that changed. And this has got to happen and that's got to happen. And you've got to figure this out and then you've got to do this. I don't know what you have to do to land a 747, but I imagine it's a lot. So go ahead and be a realist to me. But don't tell me it can't be done. It can be done. I'm going to then look at you and be like, yeah, I don't want to do it. I don't want yes men or no men. I want realist men around me. Let's go change the gate, charge the gates of hell. All we got is water guns. We in it? Let's do it. Well, you realize if we go with water guns, some of us are going to be glossed along the way. Well, which ones are we willing to lose? <laughs> Opposition comes from everywhere. Gary, do you ever get discouraged? Oh, my God, I get discouraged. I get discouraged all the time. I get frustrated all the time. I'm a guy that doesn't know how to be content. I'm a guy that has 600 wrestling. I can't even be happy we had 600. I'm mad that we didn't have 700. I'm just the way I'm wired. I get frustrated with this crowd. I get frustrated that people leave. I get frustrated that people stick their nose where it doesn't belong. I get frustrated that people give their opinions when they don't have a clue what they're giving an opinion about. Thank God for the unfollow button on Facebook. Is that the greatest invention in the history of America? Like, it's like, hey, I'm still going to be your friend when you ain't mad at me, but I'm unfollowing you where I ain't got to see anything from you. I've unfollowed more people this week, and most of you in this crowd today. <laughs> Golly. But what do you do when you get frustrated? Look what Nehemiah did. After I looked things over, 
Sometimes when you're frustrated, you got to step back. You got to breathe. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's crazy. Sometimes you got to step back, look at it with a fresh perspective. I stood up and I said to the nobles, I said to the officials, I said to the rest of the people, this is Nehemiah, don't be afraid of them. Don't you worry about the critics. Brandon, I wonder how many people are going to come along and tell you you can't do whatever it is you feel called to do. After what you told me in private message, week, it might be me. Brandon's more crazy than I thought he was. Don't be afraid of them. Ignore the critics. Remember the Lord. You remember how I got here? The king sent me. The king gave me his blessing. The king gave me all the wood. Who cares? Remember what God has done. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. No, I dig this part. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When you get discouraged, listen, first of all, remember the Lord. Remember all that he has done in your life. When you were at the end of your rope, he came along and picked you up by the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock. Man, when you didn't know what you were going to get up out of bed in the morning, you didn't know how the rent was going to get paid. You didn't know how your marriage was going to survive. You didn't know if you were ever going to see your kids again. You didn't know if you were going to die with a needle in your arm. And God came along and he saved your soul when it probably wasn't worth saving. Remember how good God's been. Every time I get discouraged at this place and I look around and I get it ain't the prettiest place and it ain't the most handsome place and it sure ain't the place that's got it all together. But I remember 10 years ago when I lost everything and I was living in someone's basement and I was literally, I had ate Chick-fil-A, thank God for Chick-fil-A for 33 straight days because it was right across the street. It was the only place I could go through a drive-thru without anybody seeing me and I was on the front page of the paper and I was ready to quit and I thought God was done with me. I look at this place and I'm real thankful. Because I remember where God's brought us. When everyone else wrote me off, God said, I ain't done with that idiot. And second of all, fight for your cause. I don't know what your cause is today. Somebody asked me this way. They said, can your cause change? Absolutely. Your cause... Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days. He didn't quit living after he rebuilt the wall. He moved on to his next cause. Some people have lifelong causes, and some people have a cause here. And then God gives them another cause, and then God gives them another cause. You fight for your cause. Why? Because your cause is worth fighting for. And if you don't fight for it, no one else will. If you don't fight for your kids, no one else will. And if you don't fight for your sobriety, no one else will. And if you don't fight for your finances, nobody else will. And if you don't fight for your spouse, no one else will. And if you don't fight for your kids, nobody else will. you got to fight for your cause because it's a cause worth fighting for. It's a cause that God put in you. He didn't put it in me. He gave me my own cause. Discouragement's going to come along. You're going to get frustrated along the way. You're going to be ready to give up along the way. Listen, people are going to criticize people that you don't even know are going to criticize you. And they're going to talk crap. Who cares? 
And it's going to come from the inside. The people you thought would never criticize you. Including yourself. Yourself. 